0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno podcast, where everyone has a story and everyone's story matters. What's your story? In the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, we want to let you know that we will be donating 100% of our sales and donations at crazyfaceuno.com. That's crazyfaceuno.com to the World Central Kitchen, founded by Chef Jose Andres. If you would like to help out with that uh, donation, with our support to this organization, the World Central Kitchen, please check out crazyfaceuno.com today. Together is how we defeat this invisible enemy. With that said, I'm your host, Shane McNeely, and boy, are you in for a treat today. It is my honor and privilege to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Janie Lunn. welcome, Janie.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, I stumbled through that intro uh, roughly, but hey, we, we're here. We made it. We're
1: here. <laughs> uh,
0: just to just to bring that uh, intro back in. Sorry, Janie, I already introduced you, but um, World Central Kitchen. If you're not familiar with them, please check them out. Uh, the chef. Jose Andres, he's a very well-known chef uh, around the world, and he is doing some amazing things. Um, he's on the front lines delivering mass, delivering food, delivering whatever it is that's needed right now. Um, he's a really great guy. So if you're listening, go check him out. Go check out what uh, the World Central Kitchen is doing. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram, all the, those fun things, um, and then obviously their website. So check them out. I, I wholeheartedly, uh, endorse them and support them. Cool. Now that I've got that out of the way, Janie, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. We, I saw last week, it wasn't too long ago, a few days ago, uh, that you were, uh, on your way back to the United States being, yes. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: relieved of your duties for a little while at least. And, yep. <laughs> um, so welcome back. I know that was quite the Thank process. You. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Janie, you... Definitely
1: been a whirlwind.
0: <laughs> yeah. You have been uh, a volunteer for the Peace Corps in Uganda. Um, and I, yes. I that's about all that I know as of right all now. All
2: right. <laughs> um,
0: so I'm going to hand it over to you. Do you mind just kind of filling us in on, you know, how long you've been in the Peace Corps, how long you've been volunteering, kind of what this process has been, and, and then, um, yeah, we'll... I'll jump in there as we go, but maybe just kind of introduce yourself and, uh, what you've been up to recently.
1: Sure. Uh, so I am 26 and I started getting involved with a nonprofit called invisible children that I know, you know, uh, when I was 12 years old. So for a long time, yeah, um, (laughs) been involved with them for a long time and, um, they, I had planned on trying to work with them after I graduated college yeah. and then they shut had to shut down their U S headquarters five months before I graduated from college. So, uh, oh, poor timing. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was a bit of a bummer, but, um, and, and yeah.
0: just for everybody listening, they are, they do have a U.S. headquarters. It's just not in San Diego anymore. They are still operational. Things are still going, but it yes. just looks different than when you and I were there.
1: Yeah, and so just at that exact timing that they were shutting down the San Diego headquarters, like their future of the organization was really uncertain and, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just not going to work out at the time. Um, Yeah. And since then, uh, even though they do still have operations running, I kind of branched out and within the Invisible Children family, uh, I had been close Facebook friends, uh, but hadn't actually met Jamie Ward, uh, who was a fellow. Invisible Children supporter.
0: Yeah.
1: And she created her own nonprofit organization with one of the Ugandan roadies from Invisible Children, Collins. Yeah. Um, and so they started their own organization called Far Away Friends. Yes. And Faraway Friends aims to uh, basically to eradicate poverty through education mm. and empowering the youth and, you know, showing them that that their lives can be whatever they want them to be. And, um, they do a trip every summer to Uganda, uh, to visit the school that they've built there, global leaders primary. Mm -hmm. And I had wanted to go for a long time, but it was of course, costly to go. And so the summer of 2018, I just decided that I was going to fundraise. And if I could manage to get the money together, I was going to go on this trip. And I did. And, uh, I went with an incredible group from faraway friends Mm. and we spent three weeks there and it was just, it was absolutely incredible. I had wanted to go there since I was 12 and it was like a dream come true. And it was just, it was such an incredible experience. And then when I got back, I started looking into the Peace Corps and seeing if they had um, a post in Uganda and Absolutely. what kind of positions they had there and like a true apply. IC-er. I feel like yeah. <laughs> I,
0: if there's any IC people listening, I'm sure that we've all gone through that similar. Uh, that similar process. I know yeah. I started the application process, process to go into the Peace Corps at one point in time. I was like, what am I doing with my life? You know? Yeah. And I, yes, I was like... I know that all too
1: well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. Also, I want to just jump in there and say Collins. Uh, yes. I miss her. I love her. She's amazing. Oh,
1: she's a gem. Yes.
0: And one of these days, I'm going to have her on this show. So.
1: Yes, you should. I'm sure she would
0: love it. Yeah, I know she would. I... I'd, I have no doubt we'll be able to figure it out eventually, yeah. one of these days, but we haven't invited her yet. So uh, yeah. Collins, if you're listening, you're coming on the show one of these days, just, <laughs> let me, just let me know. We'll get her. We'll get yeah, her on Yeah, we'll you. get her. Yeah, for sure. So uh, you, it was shortly after that, so you went with uh, faraway friends, and then uh, you came back, and that's when you started the process of um, pursuing the B Corps.
1: Yeah. So um, you know, I had always heard of the Peace Corps and kind of thought it was like this hippie movement from the sixties, seventies, you know. I I sure. didn't really think of it as being something that like people still really do yeah. all that often, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, you know, I had friends who had applied for it, but um and I had it I think I had a few friends through Invisible Children that were currently mm-hmm. serving, but you know, it never really was one of my like, I'm gonna join the Peace Corps someday. And uh <laughs> yeah. so so it was very foreign to me to be, like, looking into it and everything, but it just felt right. It felt like I had an avenue to do, to sure. do something. And, um, you know, I had been to Uganda now, and I was like, I kind of feel like I know what I'd be getting into a little bit. And, yeah, um, yeah so I applied to be a community health educator um, because I I am not, like, a nurse in any way. I'm not a med student, nothing sure. like that. Um, but. When I had gone to Uganda with faraway friends, we visited a health center that was the primary place for people in that village to go for any sort of health services. Yeah. And it was just empty. Mm. It was like, it was, you know, five or six rooms maybe. Wow. Um, and there was one room that had the medicine, but I could see all the medicine that was available with my own eyes. You know, there were no sure. hidden drawers or pantries with, <laughs> right. with with extra supplies it was just what was there and they had two rooms that i very vividly remember one had a kind of cot on it for women to give birth mm-hmm. and a smaller table next to it to clean off the newborn babies and then the next room was just a big empty room with a single mattress on the floor <laughs> that was the recovery room yeah. for for new mothers and it was just heartbreaking and we ended up um I think Jamie got, somebody heard the story and donated money while we were still there for us to get them like five or six new mattresses. Um, So we got to give those to the health center while we were there, which was really cool. But when I was looking through the positions available in Uganda through Peace Corps, health was really just what stuck out to me because I was like, you know, I don't don't even necessarily need to be a medical professional in order to help with whatever skill set I can bring. Yeah. Um, you know, even if it's just helping them find funding for materials, Mm -hmm. even if it's working with communications to just like get them some better access, um, to such basic things. So that was how I chose that role. Um, and it was definitely a long process, uh, the application process and then going through the interview process. And even once you're accepted, you have to get legally and medically cleared, which depending on your health status can take a very long time. Um,
0: yeah, Janie, um, if you don't mind me jumping in here, yeah, do you mind absolutely. kind of diving in? And, and I'm a l- somewhat familiar. Like I said, I had kind of started that process and I had yeah. done a little research about that. So I know it's a very like tedious, uh, very, yes. <laughs> very detailed uh, process. I mean, the initial uh, application process is like extensive which makes sense because it's almost a filtering process, you know, of filtering yeah. out people that aren't necessarily serious about, uh, what they're getting themselves into, um, uh, sure. in, in some capacity. Right. But could you right. just kind of walk us through maybe, you know, an, an, overview of what that process looked like for you?
1: Yeah. So, um, the application, I can't remember if it was the, the very beginning or very end of October that it was due, but, um, it was sometime in October, the sure. application was due. And uh, once I had that submitted, I think I got my request for an interview around November. Okay. Um, and then I think it was within about two weeks or so of having the interview, which was just like a on Skype kind of video call that they're, they're clearly in like a call center kind of room doing mm-hmm. interviews with tons of people all yeah. at the same time. Um,
0: Intimidating.
1: Yeah, so it was like a lot going on. Um, And, you know, you want to make sure that you stand out and Mm. are making yourself seem like a good candidate, but it's kind of distracting and it's just like, it's a lot going on. Um, They did the best they could, but, you know, they have a lot of candidates to get through. Um, (laughs) And then, yeah, and then um, about two weeks after my interview was when I got my invitation to serve. Um, So I was officially accepted. And then the legal process was was fairly straightforward i had to go um and get like official fingerprints taken and send them in and they had to know about any scars and tattoos and you know things to identify you and all of that kind of stuff um
0: terrifying but there
1: weren't really yeah but there (laughs) weren't like any there weren't any really like tests or anything like that for the legal process it was just kind of tedious like paperwork that you had to get done um and then they did, you know, the background checks and everything on their end. Mm-hmm. But the medical process is what uh, trips a lot of people up. Okay. Um, so you you have to go to the, your primary care doctor and get, you know, full physical and uh, whatever that entails for your medical history and any updates on your medical history. And then sure. um, you have to go to the dentist and get like a full dental workup. Wow. and if you have any cavities, they all have to get filled before you can can conserve and just all kinds of stuff. Um, and you know, if you have any specific like past injury, um, you know, I don't, I don't know anyone who had this specific one, but let's say you tore your ACL in the past or something. Um, more than likely they would send you to a specialist for whatever that prior injury was, even if Mm. it was several years ago, um, and have them do it, check up on that as well Crazy. to make sure that you're clear yeah so um now, I actually do, oh, with sorry, the Peace
0: God. Corps do they you know you're going through all of this is that all kind of on you um or is there like a uh, a budget for that or is that kind of just that expenses on you
1: um so I don't know if they have a budget for it I do know that you can apply to be reimbursed mm. um I don't know if I can't remember if it's for everything that you had to have done or if it's like for a percentage or for only certain aspects of it um but they do they do give you reimbursement for cool at least some of the medical expenses Yeah. yeah um but for me i i was clear i was in the clear medically until like they they got my prescription list Mm. And I've had diagnosed anxiety since I was eighteen, mm. um, and so I have a I had a standing prescription for Xanax just to take like as needed for an anxiety attack or yeah. anything like that. And uh, they saw that I had that on my prescription list after I had been cleared with all my current health situations, and uh, and they almost didn't clear me. And I had to go back to my doctor and have them take it off of my current prescription list, have my doctor write a note saying that I no longer needed it. Um, I had to sign something saying that I would not, that I would not bring any benzodiazepines into country and I would not obtain any once I was there. Um, so it was like very serious. They were not messing around um, (laughs) with making sure I couldn't bring Xanax. And it was frustrating because I understand that it can be an addictive thing and, and sure. people do use it recreationally and everything. But I was like, this if anything, the fact that I have a prescription for it should make it okay for me right. to bring it. Um, but, I mean, it ended up kind of being a blessing in disguise because yeah. I, I ended up kind of having to manage my anxiety on, uh, you know, just on a more personal defense. <laughs> yeah, note. absolutely. Um, so it was, it was a bit of a blessing in disguise, but still frustrating during the process. Mm. Um, but yeah, I finally got my medical clearance in January and then I left in May.
0: So January, May. So you were there like four months.
1: So I, I got my medical clearance in January and then left for you. Oh, in May.
0: In May. And yeah. then May. So then, okay, got it. Yeah. May, 2019. nineteen. Nineteen. Okay. So you, Yeah,
1: so I was there just under a year.
0: Okay. That's what I was, Yeah. that's what I was trying to figure out. Wow. Yeah. Um, man. <laughs> yeah. That process sounds, uh, pretty rigorous, which it makes sense. I mean, what is, what's the length of your contract about two years? Tw-
1: 27 months. Yeah. 27 three months. months of training and then, uh, two years of service.
0: Cool. Cool. Uh, what what was your training like what was what was that experience like and especially uh maybe we can dig into it but you know my i guess my like comparison would be like how are you comparing the training that you got at peace corps with invisible children
1: oh interesting um well the training was definitely also extensive and grueling Mm -hmm. um we we're in training all day, every day from eight to five. Um, And one funny thing about Uganda, I don't know if this is true for other, other Peace Corps posts, uh, but in Uganda, so they were uh, colonized by the British. And so a lot of things over there are, you know, seem what I would associate with British. Like they call trash rubbish and Mm. uh, they call the trunk of a car, the boot and things like that. And that's uh, funny.
0: I didn't know that.
1: They, They love tea time.
0: They love to
1: have tea time. So we would have two tea breaks a day, every day during training. (laughs) And, uh, you know, sometimes it was nice, but sometimes we were like, can we just skip the tea and like get out of our (laughs) sessions earlier and like have more time, like downtime, you know? Um, But yeah, so training, um, I don't really know how to compare it to Invisible Children because it's very... Yeah very different like it was it had a lot of aspects to it um was was, it in
0: country or was it in the states yeah it
1: was it was in country okay um so it was in mokono in uganda which is depending on traffic about an hour or two from kampala the capital um north uh it's in the central region central okay yeah um but north of kampala uh northeast i guess i would say more okay yeah, I would say more east than north, but um, cool. but pretty close to Kampala. So it's still in that central region. And um, we had, you know, we had training in all different aspects. We had our sector specific training. So my cohort, which is the, the group that I came from America with, mm-hmm. uh, we were half of us were health volunteers and half of us were agribusiness volunteers. Mm. Uh, so we would often split up into health and ag and get our training specific to those two subjects. Yeah. Um, and for that aspect of it, we had mostly current volunteers who had been in our sector for about a year in country and they would train us on, uh, different projects that they did. And the, there's like the health framework of the certain objectives kind of that you're supposed to meet with whatever projects you do. Yeah. Um, so we got the kind of general health framework overview, and we got specific lessons on specific um, activities that you can do, groups you can form, things of that nature.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and then we also had to get a lot of cultural training. Uh, we had to get familiar with, you know, some of the local terminology. Like, sure. There's, there's. I think over 50 languages in spoken in Uganda. So we couldn't get like specific language training then.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, But you know, just general English is the official language of Uganda. So Mm -hmm. most people do speak it. Uh, So we just had to learn certain phrases that they would say, like there was one, uh, we had a whole session one time on jargon and (laughs) they would show us uh, a phrase and ask us what we thought it meant. And there was one particular one that was uh, sleeping around and so we all, you know, he put it up on the screen and we yeah. all just started laughing. So we're like, well, everyone knows what sleeping around means, you know? Yeah. And uh, he was like, well, what do you think it means? And so we we told him, we're like, it means having sex with multiple people. Like, just yeah. kind of, you know, sleeping with people around. Yeah. And, uh, and they all, like, covered their mouths and we're like, no, no, that's not what it means here. <laughs> and, uh, and so apparently in Uganda, sleeping around is just like if you're sleeping over or sleeping mm. nearby so like if someone's at your house and you don't know if they're staying you'll be like oh are you sleeping around tonight and like oh. that's just how they say it so we to get yeah so we had to get cultural training on just like little nuances like that um i love that then stuff there were, yeah I think, it's, and then I think there were bigger things like uh we had to learn to hand wash our laundry sure um we had to learn how to bucket bathe sure. things like that um, are you
0: an expert at uh, hand washing your laundry now
1: I actually am not, um, I, I was pretty lazy about it. Um, and for a lot of people, there's usually, this is probably going to sound so bad, but there's usually, um, a neighbor or someone, Mm -hmm. someone that you know, or like work with or something that is usually looking for some kind of extra income and they all the time, people all the time would offer to wash my clothes. And I was like, well,
0: I wondered about that. You
1: guys know what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wondered about that. um, I
1: spent,
0: I spent a few, what, uh, almost two months in Haiti, uh, before I went and worked for Invisible Children and man, I jumped around quite a bit, but it's kind of the same thing there. You know, it would be, you know, we were staying in like a, this, it, it was a hotel, I guess, it was more just like a compound, you know, that had mm-hmm. multiple rooms and whatnot. But, yeah, yeah you just kind of put your your laundry. You know, I had my day-to-day things that I would wash by hand and, right. hey, I'm going to grab a shower and I'm going to wash my clothes at the same time kind of thing. Oh, yeah, but, I do uh, that all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some of the other bigger things are the more, like, quote, soiled clothes, you know, that are a little more dirty. Yeah. You'd, like, hand those off, put them in a bag and somebody come around and collect them and then drop them off for you. and um but, yeah, yeah, they, they, they clearly know. I mean, hand washing is a skill. I've watched. Oh yeah, I've watched people I, do that. I
1: full on blistered both of my hands the first few times. I like, can only it imagine. Just, it was so bad.
0: And if you want color in your clothing, you shouldn't have them hand wash it.
1: Oh, yeah, I learned that the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. I still have, I, I have a bunch of clothes that are, like, tie-dye now. Yeah. So I washed right. them together. I was like,
0: what was I thinking? Tie-dye slash just, like, the color bleeds out. Whatever whatever yeah. is used, it's, like, I don't know if it's yeah. a lie. I don't know. I, don't know I what, have no idea. I don't know exactly I, what's used. I learned
1: my lesson.
0: Yeah. I have several shirts. I still have them. Most of my shirts and most of my clothes that I uh, took when I went to Haiti. But uh, they're all quite faded. Uh, yeah. came back quite faded.
1: Yeah, most of my clothes too, but
0: <laughs> part of it, right?
1: Yeah, part of the experience. But yeah, yeah so we had um, for our training. I mean, it was it was very extensive. Um, went into a lot of detail and on a lot of different things. Um, and then we had we were at the training center all together uh, mm. for I think the first three weeks, and then was your we, training
0: center in like the area that you were or was that in kampala
1: no so the training center where we were all together the first three weeks was in makono so oh, okay. um ju- yeah so just about an hour or two from kampala gotcha and then we were split into our language groups mm-hmm. um so depending which region you were going to sure. uh they would you know have us train in that language so i was I was very adamant uh, with the people who place us in our different regions mm-hmm. that I really wanted to be in the north. Uh, yeah. I wanted to be as close to Gulu as possible because sure. uh, of Invisible Children yeah. and, you know, a little biased. But I just loved it and wanted to be near there. Yeah. So they weren't sending volunteers from our cohort to Gulu, but they were sending them to Lyra, which is sure. a couple hours from Gulu. Yep. And, um, yeah, so they... They luckily put me up there. So I was in the uh, Longo group. And so we went up to our various regions and we spent five weeks with a host family in language training. Mm. And language training was also all day, every day. Um, We had five weeks to learn as much of the language as we could and then had to take um, a language proficiency interview. Okay. And yeah, and... You had to get, I think you had to get intermediate low in order to pass it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then we lived with the host family and That's had insane. the full
0: That's crazy. immersion
1: experience. <laughs> yeah. What if and, you didn't uh, pass? What happens? Uh, if you don't pass, you get a chance to retake it at okay. um, at I- IST, which is in-service training, which okay. is, I believe IST was three months After we swear in, so three months after all of our training ends, sure. Um, So you would have a chance to get a language tutor and have more time to learn and study, and then retake it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Did you? I mean, what? How did you? How did that go for you? How was that test? Was it? How did you feel about the language after those five weeks?
1: Uh, It was nerve wracking. It was. (laughs) It was much more laid back. It was much more laid back than than it sounds. It was just like a one on one conversation with one of your language teachers, mm. um, but it was still, even though we knew if we failed, we could take it again in a few months. It was still this feeling yeah. of like, oh god, I have to pass, or I'm getting sent home. You know, sure. and that wasn't the case, but it was just felt that way. Yeah, and um, I, both of my language teachers were incredible. We all just adored them. And so, nice. you know, I walked in and he, my teacher made it very laid back and like, I kept telling him how nervous I was. And he was like, don't be nervous. You're fine. You're fine. Like, <laughs> I know how you do in class. You're going to pass. You'll be fine. Um, so yeah, I, I know that I butchered a few things, um, sure. but I, I got intermediate high on mine. Um, so I passed, which was good. Great. And then I didn't really end up using my language much because wow. i was placed in lira town so a lot of people are placed in rural villages mm-hmm. um and deeper in the village you will find that you need to use your language more yeah. uh but being in a town i just almost everyone i encountered spoke english and spoke sure. it very well um and so they would speak to me in English, you know. And so yeah. I would I would just thank somebody or greet somebody in the local language and they would freak out and be like, You know our language yeah. What is <laughs> so like, like what is the like, yeah,
0: what is like thank you in your local language. So it's language? actually
1: the greeting and thank you is actually the same. It's apoyo. Okay. Um and so you can either say apoyo just like passing people, saying hi, whatever. Yeah. Or you can say it as a Sure. It also means thank you. Um and yeah, I would just say you know apoyo or apoyo matek, which is thank you very much. Yeah. And they would go, oh, you know our language, and I would say ah to d, which is like a small a small amount. Yeah. And then they would just freak out. They're like, oh, you're fluent. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> really not, but thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean that that aspect was nice. Like I I kind of lost my like language training. Yeah. At least the the extent that I did know it at first. Mm. Um, but it was still nice to you know people were excited just from anything that I said. They were just excited that somebody had taken any kind of effort to learn any of it, you know?
0: Had you, so. and and maybe, I, Janie, what, what year did you uh, work at Invisible Children?
1: So I never actually worked for Invisible Children. I was just a volunteer with okay. them. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, but I started my involvement with them, I believe it was 2006. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, all the way up until now, technically. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it's funny because I, I didn't remember specifically. My last year was 2012. Uh, okay. So, like, fall 2012 was my last kind of semester at Invisible Children. And I was mm-hmm. trying to think. I was like, man, I just don't – like, I don't – I didn't know a lot of the roadies. Um yeah. Like that year, especially specifically that fall, but mostly that year in general, because it was just crazy town. Um, And I was like looking through your pictures and you got pictures with like tons of people that I know. Um, And I was like, I just don't quite like I can't quite place like which team she was on or like where she was at. I know. (laughs) Yeah. I I couldn't quite remember like exactly where you were. So it's funny. I
1: did. I did start to apply to be a roadie uh, right after high school which I graduated okay. high school in May of 2011. Okay. Uh so it would have been actually yeah, would have been fall of two 2012. Th- uh, yeah. Yeah, that would have been the, the 2012 group. Um but yeah, I started to apply and then I just uh I realized that if I put off college, mm. I probably wouldn't end up going. Yeah. Uh just because I I had always been just so desperate to get out of school. Mm. Uh I like couldn't wait to just get out and be on my own and just not be in school anymore so it's like if i put off college i just i know myself well enough to know i won't it'll be really hard to find the motivation to go back to school um especially the same way i
0: I contemplated leaving my junior year before my senior year of college and kind of doing the same thing and i was kind of the same way i'm like "Ah, i should just finish i got one more year just to get it done. you know and then i kind of like me personally, I had just kind of like, all right, I've graduated. Like, I'm not gonna go to Visible Children anymore. Yeah. And then, ta-da! I ended up. And doing then it there anyway. you were. But yeah, yeah. So 2000. That was 2000. So I started uh, fall 2010. Okay. So yeah. There had was a good a, little run. A good good little run. Couple tours as a roadie <laughs> and worked in the office for a couple of year or a year year and a half. So so. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay, cool. That. That's funny because I totally teed you up for, like, comparison to Invisible Children training because I totally thought that you worked at Invisible Children for a bit.
1: I, I'm honored. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I – like, I remember you, but, like, I don't quite remember. There's just so much. Like, that last year was just a big blur for me. Yeah, especially and... <laughs>
1: 2012. That was a, uh... yeah. <laughs> it was a very crazy time at Invisible Children. <laughs> yeah, and
0: so our I worked in our shipping and fleet coordinator. So uh, we moved offices that last year, and mm-hmm. uh, I worked out of our warehouse. So I was completely, like, kind oh, of gosh. segregated from the rest of the group on top of the fact that, you know, I did a lot of trainings with our – with our roadies but I just didn't remember I couldn't remember everybody and so I was like man I, I totally like I was gonna come clean right out of the gates like I'm, I'm sorry but I don't quite remember what team you were on but we got we got there we got there James no,
1: so. it, is, it is all good I'm, I'm <laughs> flattered that you thought so yeah
0: no it's great it's been it's been a few years since uh
1: a few years and a lot of people <laughs> yeah a lot a, of lot, a lot of invisible Children supporters. People,
0: so totally yeah. Cool. So now you're in Lyra.
1: Yes. So um, after language training for five weeks, we had one week of technical training where we went to stay with current volunteers Okay. and they kind of just showed us around their site and showed us around their organization mm. and we all had to do practice facilitations. Um, so what does that mean? So a majority of, Well, I'll backtrack a little bit. I admittedly, as I said, did not know much about Peace Corps prior to joining. And even once I was, you know, packing up my house and getting ready to literally move to Uganda, I still didn't really know what I would be doing. Um, Sure. I I kind of just thought that that Peace Corps sends you somewhere and you work as a Peace Corps kind of, I mean, volunteer, but kind of like a Peace Corps employee in that region. Yeah. Um, But that is not how it works. You are, every volunteer is paired with an organization, Mm. um, with a local organization, and you just kind of work there to work on capacity building for the organization, helping them kind of continue the the work that they do, but do it as effectively as possible. Mm. Um, And you're primarily doing depending on your area of expertise and what your organization needs, um, you're doing a lot of like facilitations going out in the field and just doing teachings on whatever it is that your sector is. So for like the sure. agribusiness people, uh, they would go and they would do, they would teach groups and communities how to make sack gardens. Mm. So if you don't have a lot of land, but you still you know, need to either either need food for yourself or it could be um an IGA an income generating activity yeah. uh where you can you can grow your own things and sell them so they would teach things like that and they would go to local VSLA's which is village savings and loan associations which is kind of instead of people going to a bank it's just like a local group in the community that does their own saving
0: yeah it's um, one of my favorite programs that we yeah. we did at Invisible Children actually um, oh wow
1: no. I didn't know Invisible Children did that
0: yeah and, and and you know it's it's easily uh you just need the group of people and yeah. so yeah we that was one of our programs as well the VSLA um definitely my favorite that was always my go-to and people would ask mm-hmm. like what's your favorite program and it was the VSLA I loved it I loved everything about it I actually have um like the packet. Of like information, it's a large packet of information. Yeah. Uh it's just like all about how to start one and how to create it and how to do it. That's and, awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really amazing. Um, and so for for listeners listening, it's it's a program that, like you said, it's it's very similar to a bank, but it's like small. And so it's like small loans. So maybe you need you know money to buy a goat or to buy seeds for your bag garden that you were talking about. Um, and then so you use that and then it's, there's a payment process, you know, each month, um, or each, whatever the set time frame is. And, you know, you're constantly, you know, that group of people. And I think I want to say it works best between like 10 and 12 people. Is that that right? right. Yeah. Like 10 to 20. I mean, I think that there's like a, an ideal number of people. It's been a while since I've reviewed that information, but, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's really interesting. And and there's a lot of accountability and, um, what's the word just, um, integrity, I guess within it, because it's your friends, it's your people that you like run around with. It's, it's a lot of times, you know, the people that you're in this group with. And so you don't want to come to that meeting, you know, whenever that meeting is once a month and not have your payment that month. So it's, it's, uh, built-in kind of integrity and, and, uh, checks and balances. And it's, it's a really cool program. It's, it's beautiful. And, um, it allows people to expand their businesses and, um, yeah, do some really cool stuff. I've actually, I've, I've thought about like how cool would it be to do something like that? Like locally, like even, you know, within my own friend's group, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Haven't ever done it, but I've thought about it. <laughs>
1: well, Maybe this will reinvigorate that idea. Maybe,
0: maybe I'll let you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, again, just depending on what your organization needs, uh, you kind of come in to fill that role. But as I've said, I'm by no means a medical professional um, or have medical training. And I think a common misconception with, particularly with Peace Corps is that they, if you look on paper that people that they send there don't seem qualified. Mm. Um, And I honestly struggled with that myself for a while. I was like, I, you know, I've never studied anything in in depth about health. I'm not in the medical field. Like what what gives me the right to come over and be a community health educator? Um, But the difference is, well, the misconception is that we go there to actually provide health services, Mm. which we don't. Um, We are not allowed to assist in any way with health or with injuries or anything like that. Yeah. Um, our, our role is, is specifically education. So while I may not have, you know, medical training or anything like that, so much of the education that's needed, especially in the rural communities is very basic medical knowledge for us. Mm. So, A perfect example is um, I was at a training just a few weeks ago for a program called DREAMS, which stands for Determined, Resilient, Empowered, AIDS-Free, Mentored, and Safe. And it's basically like a girls' support group that you can form in your community. Yeah. And we did a a practice activity where we pretended that we were facilitating to a group of DREAMS girls. And each group was given... um, a different symptom of poor hygiene and mm. each group then had to had a few minutes to get together and plan something just to a way to teach the girls that a way that they can help with that. Um, so my group had, I think it was de- decaying teeth or some. Sure. it was something to do with your teeth. So we were just going to demonstrate brushing your teeth and, my counterpart got up and was practicing the facilitation and he goes, Okay, so you know, you take the toothbrush, you you go you go up and down and you go like this and then you scrub the roof of your mouth and your tongue yeah. and whatever. And afterwards and we were kind of sitting there thinking this whole thing was silly because we were like, you know, okay, so we're gonna get up there and talk about brushing your teeth. Like Right. Br- okay. <laughs> Something <on> that
0: <laughs> we kinda of take for granted.
1: Yeah. And so even doing this activity and having lived there at this point for nine months or so, I was still thinking that this was kind of a silly activity. And then after my counterpart presented, our, uh, the person who was leading our session told us that we need to be much more specific. Um, we need to specify that they're brushing up and down with a toothbrush because I don't think he specified that when he said it originally. Mm. Um, and so she was, she said, you know, if, if you just go up there and say, just brush up and down, they're going to be like brush with what? Like brush with stick with a leaf. Like what am I brushing with? You know?
2: Uh, And, um, so
1: you have to specify a toothbrush and then also specify that you put toothpaste on the toothbrush. And Mm. a lot of people can't afford toothpaste or don't have easy access to it. And so she was telling us, um, some alternatives that they can use for toothbrush, uh, sorry for toothpaste. And one of the the big one I remember was uh, was Ash, which is surprising mm, yeah. uh, to me. But I knew that that was something that they used as an alternative for soap. Yeah. But apparently it can be an alternative for toothpaste as well. And that was something I didn't know. And, you know, it's just things that, that we take for granted that we don't for think sure. about. That I've known how to brush my teeth since I was, what, two years old? Yeah. <laughs> something yeah. like that, you know? And so a lot of the job is just... It's just education really. Oh, yeah. Um and it's and it's not education that needs to be you don't need to be a doctor in order to do it. You know, you just have to have the base knowledge and then you get the training in more specific areas. Like I sure only had a very limited knowledge on HIV before going and we got trained specifically in HIV and malaria and mm-hmm. issues that were going to come up that we were going to be working with. So
2: Yeah.
1: Uh it was It was a lot, but I think that's a common misconception, Yeah, you know, is, is the qualifications of people and just sending over, you know, white savior complex people who want to go change the world, but aren't really qualified to do so. So that was something I struggled with a lot, but.
0: (laughs) Now looking back now that you've been there for, you know, almost a year, you had been there for almost a year. What's your, what's your take on things now? Um. Now that you've kind of experienced what that's like, that 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 process, and maybe some of the misconceptions that you even came into the Peace Corps with.
1: Yeah, I think um, Peace Corps definitely has its flaws. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Sure. Uh,
0: We all do. Generally speaking, I mean, yeah, I mean, everything does, and I think. We we've seen the flaws of the world. Uh, They've been they've been very they've been very uh, in our face in the last uh, month. So we yeah we all if if you don't know I mean come on we we've got to we've got to treat each other with grace and and treat companies and treat people and treat things we have to hold people accountable as well one hundred percent yeah absolutely Um, but I want to get not to get on my soapbox but you know absolutely there isn't a perfect. There isn't a perfect person. There isn't a perfect thing out there. So, um. yeah,
1: and I think I, you know, I think that the intention of Peace Corps is good, and I, mm. you know, I don't think I don't think anything poorly of that. And I, I don't even really think poorly of Peace Corps. It's just that you know, logistically, they are sending. 7,000 plus volunteers to all different regions of the world and there's a lot of coordination that has to happen there's a lot of logistics and even with all of the staff that's involved things things fall through the cracks things are overlooked and um, a lot of times I can only speak from from the Uganda perspective but they they will hire local staff for like to work for Peace Corps as well in our Mm. training and in our administration on the Ugandan end and things like that. And I, I think that's great because it, it provides job opportunities for local people, which is ultimately one of our biggest goals. Um, But it also can make things get lost in translation sometimes. And our Ugandan staff was incredible. I adore every single one of them. Um, But you know, it just logistically could make things difficult sometimes. And, um, it was also difficult being, again, I can only speak to Uganda specifically, but, um, we had a lot of rules that came from headquarters in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And they just weren't realistic rules for us to follow. Um, but we had to, like, they were, the biggest example is in Uganda, the, the main mode of public transportation is bodas, which are like kind of in between a motorcycle and a moped. (laughs) Like they're not as, as scary and intimidating as a motorcycle, but they're more efficient than a moped. (laughs) If that makes sense. Totally Um, get it. Yep. But yeah, so that's just how everyone gets around. You know, you just hop on the back of this bike and they take you and it's, that's just how everyone gets around. It's and cheap and easy. Volu- yeah. And volunteers are not allowed to ride bodas. Mm. And if you are caught riding a boda, you are sent home. No questions asked. Really? Um, yeah. No questions asked whatsoever. They will send you home. Doesn't matter if you were stuck somewhere at night and needed to get home safely. Doesn't matter what it was. You're sent home.
2: Wow. And
1: yeah. And like no explanations, no second chances. You're just sent home. And that was a big one that was a real issue for a lot of us because it just didn't make sense. And yeah. it and it came from Washington, from people who had not, you know, a lot of people who work at headquarters have served in the Peace Corps in various parts of the world. But there are still yeah. those that haven't served or haven't served. Even if you have served, you can't know what the conditions of different countries yeah. are unless you did a million different Peace Corps tours and you yeah. know went to a bunch of different countries. So it was frustrating that like our local staff wouldn't be allowed to make that decision. Mm.
0: Um, do you think so, it's, do you think it's, I mean, as much that as it is just the liability of you being on? Oh, it's,
1: it's, it's absolutely a liability. And that's, yeah. that's but it's what still was not realistic. <laughs> Yeah. That's what was frustrating was because, you know, whoever is looking at this in DC, they're mm-hmm. looking at it, from from a legal perspective from a liability perspective and i appreciate my safety being considered but you know i at the end of the day we're all adults and should Mm. be able to make our own decisions regarding that and you know i i always said i was like if it's really a liability thing just have me sign a waiver that says if Mm. i get hurt on a boda it's my fault and i'll pay for it and you know whatever but like this is just insane that i can't ride a boda and um yeah, so it was really frustrating from that perspective because like I said we're adults and I mean I I understand that they have had volunteers injured potentially even died from boda accidents mm-hmm. and I understand there's a reason that that rule is in place but I equate it to if you sent someone to America and didn't let them ride in a car mm. because there yeah, are so Yeah, it's like so you can only take taxi,
0: accidents. you can't take an Uber.
1: Yeah, like, there are so many fatal car accidents <laughs> yeah. every single day, and cars are still just how everyone gets around, and, like, you know, you run that risk driving a car yeah. here in America, whereas in Uganda, bodas are how everyone gets around, Right. and so it's just, was like, crazy to me yeah. that that would be something we weren't even given the choice to do, you know, Yeah. like a waiver or something, so... That was frustrating.
0: <laughs> I could see that. But. That was the, kind of the main, The similar, you know, setup uh, in Haiti was very similar. Um, for me, I, I drove on, I rode on the back of many of those. Uh, mm-hmm. What you're calling a boda, you know, it's a, it's a moped, basically. Yeah. <laughs> of, yeah, of sorts, you know, a little bit. I mean, if that's what, if you want to paint a picture, just think about your like little mopeds or your little scooters, you know, in the United States, it's they're yeah. similar to that
1: yes so it was it was a lot but I mean I understand where it came from and yeah. it's just that certain things like that I wish were up to I wish that the local Peace Corps offices mm. in the different regions had a little more say I guess yeah um, it wasn't a
0: blanket rule but more yeah regional and just or... in
1: things like that um, and so so my my general point was just I you know I think the intention of Peace Corps is good I think that the intention of anyone who joins Peace Corps is good. You know, you're yeah. not, even, even if you do have a bit of white savior complex, which undoubtedly many volunteers do, even if they aren't aware of it, I'm sure that I was guilty of it sometimes. You know, it's yeah. just, it, it's, it, it just kind of comes with the territory. Unfortunately, you just have mm-hmm. to be as aware of it as you can be um, and try to, try to mitigate it as much as you
0: can. But yeah, um, how, how do you feel about some of that? I mean, it's a, I'm not going to lie. I struggle with it a lot. Um, Oh yeah. I do, because it's I do a, too. It's, it's the same concept and, and I know we're getting into maybe some deep water here, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's the same concept of like just privilege in general, you know? And, yeah. um, I struggle with how it's, it's the, you kind of mentioned it, you know, it, it's intentions. Um, And and looking at people's intentions first, you know, people don't,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm assuming that most people uh, that go into the Peace Corps have great intentions, right? And yes, some of those might be like, I've got the answers and I can do that, especially in in what it sounds like a more educational role um, Mm -hmm. with the Peace Corps. But uh, man, it's still hard to kind of wrap your brain around and like, and Almost look at yourself, you know, working at Invisible Children, it, we, we had these discussions a lot and we had these, you know, this idea and we were accused of and Jason was accused, you know, there's so many of these different conversations. So it's no stranger to this conversation, I guess, but, um, you know, the idea of the Western world, the the white person going and, and saving, uh, you know, these less fortunate you know and and having all the answers and and knowing everything and and whatnot but I don't it's easy to point the finger but it's hard to actually wrap your brain around in some ways especially when you're in it
1: yeah absolutely I think so that's something that I struggled with a, a lot while I was over there and I yeah. still struggle with um, and one of the one of the trickiest things uh, being over there was that you had so much time Mm. to particularly to self-reflect and so that was something that just took over my mind for a very long time and I had many conversations with like my mom and with my fellow volunteers about it and it's it's something that's so complex that I think you really have to choose how you feel about it to Mm. an extent.
0: Interesting Um, I I never thought about it that way that's That's a good,
1: like, I don't, I don't think that there is any one blanket, like, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a black and white area Mm. of either you have white savior complex or you don't. Um, I think that first off, it will depend very much on each person. Um, But I think that in order to avoid white savior complex, I think being self-aware is the number one thing Hmm. um and just checking in with yourself about why you're doing what you're doing Hmm. um and I think I think that intentions do matter but you also have to be realistic so I've always been I've always been called very idealistic and you know head in the clouds and that kind (laughs) of person and so and I've always wanted to make a difference to to anybody and so when I first went I was you know kind of bright-eyed bushy-tailed like I'm gonna go do some good you know and then I the longer I was there the more I realized that I mean I knew that I was not like myself was not going to change the world or change even this community that I was in sure but it was my job to understand the people that i was working with as best i could Mm -hmm. and just use whatever skills and knowledge that i was fortunate enough to have Mm. in order to help them help themselves and help their families and everything there are so many issues to tackle in places like uganda and all the places that peace corps sends people and i think something that I've, i i don't know if this is true or not but from my perspective everything that needs to be addressed is so systematically in place and so ingrained um, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is cultural like mm. it's really easy to see certain practices that are negatively impacting a community and be able to come in and pinpoint that from the Western world and be like, that's a crazy practice. Why are you doing that? Or like, why do you believe that it's making you sick or it's doing this, you know? But I think that one thing that, that Peace Corps really does well is training you in those cultural aspects of, you know, this is something people do. This is why they believe it. And here is like a sensitive way to go about it. So you're coming in with empathy. You're not coming in as like this preacher that's gonna save the day.
2: Right. You're just pushing your agenda. With,
1: yeah, exactly. And so a a really common myth is that going in the rain makes you get malaria. Mm. So like if you're walking around in the rain, you'll get malaria. Um you know and that's something that we know for sure to not be true. Right. Um and so it's just little things like that. And there's actually there's an Instagram page called No White Saviors. Um, that's actually based in Uganda and they rip into Peace Corps all the time. And I, I struggle with that a lot because a lot of people I really truly respect, particularly from invisible children have told me about this page and tell me to follow it. But I, I feel like it's, it's, it's one end, one extreme end of the spectrum Mm. and, I feel like it kind of makes everything seem black and white and it's not, I think that intentions matter, but you have to be self-aware. Like we're not supposed to post pictures of anyone without their consent. And a lot of people don't follow that. You know, a lot of people post pictures of the kids that they work with without getting parental consent. And it's things that don't seem like they would matter, but that you need to consider. Yeah. Um, and it's
0: it's creating a new system. It's creating a new expectation, yeah. a new standard. Uh, yeah, exactly. In, in a in a situation that I mean, we don't do that in the United States. I mean, think about it. Yeah, exactly. There's there's how many pages, how many hashtags, how many, you know, things out there that are dedicated just to photo bombing. You know, yeah. it, and like it's not I don't know. There's just different things. As you're talking, I was trying to kind of come up with an analogy something that would be comparable to like, uh, the white savior complex of like in the West in some ways. And I think the, the like stay at home order, you know, this like social distancing idea is almost one of those things that like, we can't quite wrap our heads around, uh, yeah. at least in the States. And, and I think that's globally, um, in a lot of places, but it's trying to change something that's built in within you that's really hard and i think that that's some of the again it's going back to like pushing your agenda um or having you know there's best practices for things right yeah, but it's also absolutely. understanding the cultural significance or the the, the cultural aspects of all of those different right. things and it isn't a black and white issue it's a it's a multi multiple shades of gray issue right and uh i've said it on this podcast once i've said it probably a hundred times uh not true because we've only had like 95 podcasts but um (laughs) i've said it a lot that the extremes are necessary because they they allow us to have conversations like we're having right now Janie. but at the same time the action and the real progress happens in the middle and it's when both the extreme sides when you can find the people in the middle to move that uh, that pendulum one direction or the other on those different things and I think it's similar it sounds like from what you're saying it, it that's a pretty honest response you know it's the extremes and understanding knowing and being cognizant and aware of your privilege wherever you are in the world is important but we also exactly. have to 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 not I don't know this is something that I'm big with just with crazy face uno in general is empowering, loving and celebrating. And I think that we do a lot of like tearing down in our world versus
1: Absolutely. like celebrating
0: the things that we do well and celebrating Absolutely. the things that are good. And so, you know, I I think that it's important to empower you know, the local people that you're working with. It's important to love them. It's important to celebrate the things that they're doing well. And it's also important for us as somebody that's coming into another culture, whether you're in the United States, there's cultures within the within the states, you know? Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Or you're going to, you know, a developing country or a, a country like Uganda, whether you're in the rural area or you're in the city, you have to come with grace and understanding and and not just like that you have all the answers. And I think that's the difference. Um, it's, it's not coming and saying like, Hey, I have all the answers. What do you want? What do you want? You know, how do we, I can fix that. You know, it's, it's understanding it. It's digging in. It's, it's getting dirty and figuring out what are the the reasons. Oh, going out in the rain. Well, maybe you do get sick. You know, my mom always says, you're going to catch a cold if you go outside in the rain, you know, you don't have your head covered, you're going to catch a cold. And those are, those aren't really true either, necessarily. You know, right. it's it, like it might things. make
1: you more susceptible to it, but it's not
0: exactly, you know,
1: you go in the rain, you're going to get sick. It's, it's just increases your chances. Uh, malaria is also one
0: of those things that in some of these countries that have malaria pretty prevalent that is pointed to when anybody gets sick in general though as well oh
1: yeah i would (laughs) i would get a cold every now and then and i would tell my coworkers or my neighbors like that i just had a cold and they did not understand what i was talking about it's it's either it's either flu or malaria yeah and uh yeah but as far as as the savior complex goes i mean that's why i say i really think that you i think you just kind of have to choose how you look at it because Mm. there is so much gray area and at the end of the day you can't you can only interpret it for yourself. You can yeah. only figure out if that, if you fall into one extreme or the other. Mm. And so I think that just self-reflection and just thinking about why you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. And even if there is personal motive behind it, like, you know, even if there is, I want to feel good about myself. I mean, you know, that might not be the greatest reason to help people, but yeah, yeah, if you're still helping people and you're still aware that you don't know everything and you can't fix everything, you just want to do whatever you're able to do to help people. Mm -hmm. I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that there are some people who there, as we said with, with nothing is perfect NGOs and developing, not developing countries, places like aid workers who come to help developing countries. Yeah there's going to be flaws. There's going to be people who abuse that there's going to be, there's going to be all kinds of things, but at the end of the day, you know, I don't think that countries should stop helping other countries. Mm. I think that you have to, if you're going to go in and help someplace that's foreign to you, you have to go in, you have to do your research. You have to understand where you're going into. You have to understand the people that you're going to be working with. Um, And I think that I I don't think Peace Corps gets enough credit in that aspect um, because we do have, you know, several months of training before we go into actual service. And then our first three months after training, when we are at our site, we're not supposed to, like, start any projects. We're just really supposed to be observing and integrating and getting to know our communities and you know that that all plays a very big role as opposed to just an aid worker that comes in for x amount of weeks or months at a time and does a job and gets out and there's nothing i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that those can also be very helpful roles but in terms of you know people blaming peace corps or accusing mm-hmm. it of having this savior complex i think that's a really harsh blanket statement
0: I agree. to make I agree. Um, it's an easy cop-out. I mean, it's an easy yeah, cop-out. You can give point an example at
1: something. Of, I'll give an example of what I viewed as the Savior Complex, and I don't know this person, yeah. so I could be wrong. Her intentions may have been great, but uh, there was a girl who, whose boyfriend was serving in Peace Corps, and yeah. she decided to move to Uganda to be with him, and just posted about how she was moving to Uganda and she was going to find a teaching job once she got there and help people. And while I'm sure her intentions were good. And again, I don't know her. I'm not, I'm not meaning to pass judgment or anything, but things like that are kind of like where you can think that just because you're American, you can come into a place and be some kind of help off the bat with no training and Mm. no, Avenue that you're like, you're just going to show up at a school and say, Hey, I'm American. I can teach, you know, like, it's just, I think that there are ways to do things that are more sensitive and are more, more, more sensitive and less savior complex.
0: (laughs) Well, let's use this, let's use this example, um, that you kind of brought, brought to our attention and brought up, um, what would be the appropriate way to go about that if you were her?
1: So I would say, um, I mean, it's tricky in that position because I, I don't know her motives 100% for this is moving just if it was opinion, just for the boyfriend or opinion. whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I think uh, depending on your circumstances, applying for something like Peace Corps, uh, whether that's Peace Corps specifically or another organization that sends volunteers abroad, or uh, if there's a specific place in the world that you want to move to, that maybe you've seen a documentary on a place that really just tugged at your heartstrings and you want to go help on the ground, do your research on that place and find local organizations that are working in the field that you feel you could help with in some capacity and reach out to those organizations, see if they need a volunteer, see if they need an intern. And, you know, Peace Corps is a great option because, they will provide you with health care and with a stipend right. and a readjustment allowance that will accrue until you and, and your service so that you have some money when you come home. And it gives you, it gives you a really smooth, relatively smooth Avenue to do that. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you just emailed or called or got in contact somehow with a local organization, they very well may not be able to pay you. Um, so you do run that risk and, right. You know, it, there's there's all kinds of flaws that could happen with that kind of plan, but I think that doing research and making contacts and kind of finding finding a way to do it realistically mm. and responsibly, I think is the best way
0: to sure. go about it. Sure, I, I get that. I get that. What yeah. um, so let's let's shift gears a little bit here, Janie, and as we you know, we've kind of talked about your intro into the Peace Corps. I'd love to hear, you know, maybe over the last what almost a year. Um, mm-hmm. Over this time, what are some of the things that that you're excited about, or that you were kind of proud that you were able to be a part of, and and to to work alongside some of the people that are there, or whatever that might be. What are, what are some of the things you're proud of with your time with the Peace Corps? Peace Corps.
1: Um so I would say I am most proud of the work I was able to do with menstrual hygiene management. Cool. Um, I was able to go to a couple primary schools with my counterpart and um, one or two fellow volunteers depending which school we went to and we were able to reach over five hundred girls uh, teach nice. them about menstrual hygiene and it was actually I it, it was very humbling for me because I I think this was one of those times I kind of unconsciously went in with the Mm. savior complex in mind. And so many of these girls already knew, like, for example, we started out with the anatomy of the uterus and so many of them could already label the different parts of the uterus and, you know, they knew the biological aspect. Um, And so fortunately that wasn't our whole lesson plan. So they didn't know everything that we were going to talk about, but I was really impressed and I was really you know it 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 made me look at myself and go like you know they their children are in school here, and they, they're they're yeah. you know they're it's it's easy, even though you know from a logical perspective that kids around the world are in school, you don't know what they're learning, mm. and especially in a place like Uganda, my thought process was that women you know are are without a doubt the inferior sex and so my thought process was just that these girls might not have gotten that kind of teaching because right. it might not have seemed important, and um, so I was very impressed and I was I was very humbled by that fact that they did know the biological and anatomical aspects of that. Um, but my favorite part and what I'm most proud of was that I I decided to add into our lesson plan the symptoms that often go with menstruation. Mm. And, uh, so we went over the anatomy, we went over the 28 day cycle and went over truths and myths because there were a lot of myths surrounding periods and women's bodies. Yeah. And, uh, and all of that was really interesting. And, and a lot of the girls were interactive with it, but the symptoms was something I really just personally wanted to go over because I personally, get really bad PMS. <laughs> and sure. it's uh it's very hard to explain to anybody. Right. Even I mean there are even girls I know who don't get PMS and have said that girls who say they're PMSing are just using it as an excuse yeah. to be a bitch. <laughs> and I'm like I promise you that's not true. As somebody yeah. who deals with it, you know. Um sure. and you know for me my emotions can go I can be totally elated and happy and having a great time and i'll Mm -hmm. drop a pen and be really angry you know like it's just the drop of a hat i just my emotions change so quickly and so overwhelmingly and i've gotten to a point where i you know i know how to control it (laughs) to an extent but it still happens and so i wanted to explain to these girls you know that everything that they're feeling is normal because there sure. there's not just pms there's headaches there's cramps there's backaches. Yeah. there's bloating there's fatigue there's all kinds of things and, and everybody's di-
0: body's different and everybody responds exactly differently.
1: exactly and that's something that i really wanted to to drive home with these girls was that you know you, you may get all of these symptoms. You may get none of these symptoms, but I promise you they're all real. And if you experience any of them, it's completely normal. Mm. Um, you know, and just letting them know they might be really tired. They might find it hard to pay attention. They might find themselves boiling with rage. They might find themselves (laughs) crying for no reason, you know, like these are all, and they might get a sharp pain in their stomach or their back or whatever. And, um, that was something that, many of the girls that i spoke to it, like said that they they hadn't known about and that mm. they were grateful to learn that everyone's body is different and that you know they may get a period different from their friend sure. they may get different symptoms they may get you know one girl might barely bleed one girl might right bleed a river like right. it's everyone's very different and yeah. so that was something that they hadn't really been exposed to. So I think that it's a really weirdly specific thing to be proud of, but I think I'm most proud of, no. of uh, my decision to include symptoms in yeah. the lesson plan because it was something that they didn't know before and something that I don't think anyone was really going to tell them.
0: Yeah. So. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, menstrual hygiene has been a push specifically in Uganda for, for several years now um yeah it's kind of like education of
1: yes um well a big issue is a lack of accessibility to resources for your period so tampons are not really they exist but they're not really used they're very rare Um, expensive yeah they're expensive and then they do sell pads like they would in a store here um but those are also expensive and for most families they're not that's not a priority right. um, to spend whatever their budget is um, on that, and so a big thing in Uganda, and I'm, I'm sure in other countries, but again, I can only speak to Uganda, yeah. is Rumps, which is reusable menstrual pads. Okay. And so there are a lot of NGOs now that make and or distribute reusable menstrual pads. That's um, cool. Yeah, and they they did they actually trained us on how to make those uh, during our Peace Corps training. And I was supposed to go back to one of the schools where I did the facilitation and teach the girls to make their own rumps, but we got evacuated. (laughs) Um, So I didn't get a chance to do that, but yeah, it's, it's a big issue mainly because of the expense Mm -hmm. and a lot of girls, a lot of girls will stay home from school during their period. So they miss one out of every one week out of every month of school, which is really detrimental to their education. Absolutely. And, um, a lot of girls will use just whatever they have. And oftentimes that's, they'll shred up some clothes and use pieces of fabric and things that are, that are not necessarily hygienic and that lead to infections. Mm. And, you know, there's, there's all kinds of issues surrounding that. So I think that the, the basic education of, you know, you're not hemorrhaging. This is supposed to happen to your body um, is important. Like, so that they know that, that it's normal. And also, knowing ways to handle it in mm. a hygienic way. Um, and actually a very, very common question that I got was asking about like white discharge that women mm. will get. Yeah. And um, they were, you know, cause I was explaining to them the blood, but they were like, well, what about this white stuff? You know? Yeah. And uh, that was something I hadn't thought before doing my lessons to sure. talk about. Um, but you know, we, we would then go on to explain to them that that's just the vagina cleaning itself out. And yeah. like, it's totally normal, nothing to worry about. And um, yeah, it was just, it it was things that I mean, when I was that age, I asked the same questions, right. but it's hard to like remember when you're not that age, what you didn't know at the
0: time. Yeah. So
1: um,
0: it's cool that you can be that resource, you know, the,
1: yeah. Even yeah.
0: if, you know, you have the knowledge, you are informed, you know, and it's it's one of those things. It's really it's cool for you to be that sounding board for people to be like, hey, you know, and like you said, it's it's things you had questions about it's things you ask questions yeah. about. But, um, you know, it's it's a normal thing. It's, it's not something yeah. to like run away from or be afraid of or be.
1: And I mean, I was, of. I was even, I was admittedly nervous yeah. when I would go to do these facilitations. I was like, Oh God, this is such an awkward topic. This is just going to be so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. You know, the giggles
0: but, across the room. I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> there were,
1: there were the giggles, but like they almost just fed the energy of it. Yeah. Like, like it wasn't, it wasn't really awkward. It just made it more easy to make it fun because yeah. then like you could joke about it with them. like, Obviously it is it is a serious thing that you're teaching them, but it doesn't have to be like a big scary you're gonna bleed every month, you know, right, like <laughs> right. whatever. Yeah. It's 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 something that just we all go through and everybody knows it's it's weird and it's awkward and like we're all in it together kind of. So it's just kind of it just kind of created more of a unity between us and that was something that I found really beneficial to do in those facilitations was mm. to relate it back to me and mm. let them know I get this too, and this is how I deal with it, and this is what symptoms I get. And, you know, it just made them more comfortable with me, and it made me more relatable
0: to them. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Renee
0: Brown never lets you down. I love her. Oh, just (laughs) keeping it going, man. Look at that. (laughs) Uh, Janie, as we shift gears one more time, we are uh, about 15 minutes from the end of our show here we haven't talked about it much, but I would love to get into in these last 15 minutes. Um, you know, you, you kind of touched on it. You got evacuated by the Peace Corps. Yes. Um, that's, that was, you know, you mentioned the number. There's over what? Over 7,000? 7, over
1: 7,000. Yeah. Over
0: 7,000 Peace Corps volunteers that were uh, evacuated around the world. Is that correct? Yes. And I know that you and and a group of you that were potentially in the same region together uh had quite the process why don't you walk us through that
1: (laughs) (laughs) um how did that all even come
0: about like who who reached out to you what was this conversation and even like as things started to develop what's the conversation around you know COVID-19 um before you left you know you guys were working kind of in that health uh area I guess you know as far as your um Post, you know, with the, with the Peace Corps, but um, mm-hmm. what was that conversation? Kind of what led to your eventual evacuation, and then what was that process like for you?
1: Yeah, it was it was definitely uh, it was a lot, uh, <laughs> you know. And I think I I can't remember exactly when Corona started making the news, but I I know for months, you know, we would see it about the reports yeah. of it in China and different parts of Asia and Europe and things like that. But Since like um,
0: December, right? I mean, I feel yeah, like that was been, when it really started to kind of hit the news cycle.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a while. And I'd be, you know, at this internet cafe I love and they'd have the news on and I would keep seeing Corona. And memes started popping up about the Corona beer and other right. beers hiding from it and stuff like that. And it was all just kind of distant at that time. Um, and... You know, even once it started popping up in more places around the world, in my mind, I was kind of relating it to like when the Zika virus was going around, mm-hmm. um, and everyone was scared of it, but it, it it was just so distant, like I didn't really think about it. And not just because it couldn't affect me just because I was like, well, you know, the chances of it are so slim, like I'm not going to stress about it. Right. And Corona was like that in my mind for quite some time. And then, we actually, just a couple months ago, we had a different problem coming in. Uh, we had locusts. Ah, <laughs> and they good were times, swarming. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and this was the first time that they were coming to Uganda, as far as I know, in like 20 years or right, something, is yeah. what I was told. It, it had been a long time. And so uh, it wasn't even just the locusts themselves that we were concerned about, but um, they you know, the issue with the locusts is that they will eat people's crops. Right. And so people, a don't have their livelihood to sell their crops anymore. Mm-hmm. And B food prices significantly increase. And then you could very well be looking at a famine. And so we had that concern coming in. And on top of that, they were going to be spraying pesticides that are banned in a lot of places because of the harm they can do to humans right. um, in order to get rid of the locusts. And so, you know, we were all kind of on the edge of our seats, like, are we going to get evacuated because of this locust thing? Or are we going to be put in consolidation, which is kind of the in-between step when there's a safety issue, but they don't know how long it will be. Um, Interesting. They, wow. They gather us all at one place at a hotel or at a conference center or whatever it may be someplace yeah. where we can stay for an indefinite amount of time. And so we were all kind of bracing for that. And then the locust talk kind of died down um, and it didn't end up reaching my community and you know we kind of just blew past it and then we started hearing about different Peace Corps posts around the world being evacuated due to corona and uh, it was mostly in places that we knew that there were cases and it was just spreading really fast yeah and so there hadn't been any cases in Uganda Hmm. and so we you know, we thought it might be a possibility, but we weren't really thinking it was actually going to happen. Um, then I remember very vividly, it was the weekend before St. Patrick's day and my friends and I, I had a a good handful of volunteers who lived close enough to me that we would get together regularly. And we met up at, at one of our favorite places and we decided to celebrate St. Patrick's day the Saturday before, um, And we had increasingly heard about more and more posts closing and being evacuated. And Peace Corps the rumor mill and the gossip mill in Peace Corps spreads like wildfire. (laughs) So (laughs) even if it's from different countries. And so, you know, there were countries that were getting this email that seemed like it was a blanket Peace Corps email for all posts Mm. and we hadn't received it yet, but it Mm. was basically saying that volunteers would have from every region would have the option to take interrupted service which is basically when your service ends due to something out of your control sure. um, so if you have a safety and security issue or something like that but that's yeah. you know you're not choosing to leave your post but you have to for some other reason so you still get certain benefits you still get certain status when you get back without having the I guess, like, tainted, I chose to leave kind of thing. Right. Um, it's like honorable so, discharge, but... Yeah, exactly. So uh, so we were having... We were hearing this rumor that we would get this email. And so Saturday, we all get to the, to the place, and everything is just very somber. Like, we were supposed to be there celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. And we were all just, you know, quiet and couldn't figure out what was going on. And while we were there, we got the email... That we could take interrupted service, Um, and so they wanted. They told us that the following week they would be checking in with each individual to see what they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, And naturally, we all had a million questions and were bombarding the poor staff. Yeah. You know, they only had so many answers because they weren't at headquarters. Yeah. And so, one of the big questions was, well, what is the likelihood that we will get? evacuated that we'll have to leave regardless of what we choose
2: sure. and
1: we kept being told that evacuation wasn't even on the table mm. and um, you know and i understand that it's very possible that that was true to them at the time yeah um you know everything but- just happened so fast
0: yeah but clearly wasn't true in the long run.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Janie, so, you do you, know, you mind? People...
0: Sorry to cut you off.
1: No, no, no. Are
0: you ahead. what? What's your time frame? Do you have time after, you know, we're, we're I'm just watching the time and I see that we haven't even gotten into the coronavirus. I, I cut it off at an hour and a half. So everybody listening, uh, it's totally cool. Um, but I would love to keep going. So would you be yeah, willing I, to? Like... I've got time. Cool. <laughs> I'm going to stop yeah. it. So I'm going to close this out here and then we'll okay. do a second part uh, to okay. this conversation. If you're, if you've yeah, got the time. I'm, if I'm a free-
1: chatterbox. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm right there with you and I'm fascinated <laughs> by this conversation. I've been like so excited all weekend to like oh. have this conversation. I've been like telling my family and you know, whatever. So oh, I'm really I'm like, honored. yeah, no, I'm honored to have you on as well. I think it's really cool. Thank I've you. always, you know, very much, um, like I said, I, I was very much interested in the Peace Corps. I still very much am. Yeah. It doesn't really fit into my life and where I'm at right now. And, and right. such is, such as life, I guess. But um, no, I'm, I'm very fascinated. And I love all the conversation, all the, all the, yeah, conversation that we're having. And so I would love to continue that if you've got the free time. So,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: Cool. I'm going to close this out and then we'll do round two with. you. All right. As sounds well. good. Cool. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. I'm having trouble here. Hey, there we go. There we go. (laughs) Amateur hour here on Crazy Face Uno. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. Your contributions help us tell more stories like Janie's and stories just like yours. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Check us out. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the above. Check us out on your social media. Share the Crazy Face Uno with your friends and family um, or just random strangers on the street. We're welcome for everyone. (laughs) And, uh, again, check out World Central Kitchen. Um, Chef Jose Andres doing some amazing work over there. Check them out. And tune in to part two of Janie Lunn and the Peace Corps slash COVID-19. Thank you all. We love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Peace.